during this month, well, July and August, we've been looking at family matters. At the 2.30 service, they've been looking at such things as marriage matters, where they've been looking at practically dealing with situations from how to find the one that God has for you, how to go about doing that, how to prepare for marriage, what engagement is all about, and then marriage itself. And today Christian was ministering on preparing for children. If you're a married couple, how do you begin to prepare or think for having children? In the five o'clock, we're a little bit more, well, I think we're a little bit more theological rather than practical, because we're looking at what the Bible has to say about family. And we've looked at the first session. You can get all of these on our website, KT homepage, remember, uh, all these series are there for you. You just go to the um, media section and then press the button that says series and you'll get the whole of the 2.30 series, the whole of the 5 o'clock series. And we've been looking at such things as what is family? You know, today, what is family? What, what, what would you say family was in society? Well, we did a whole initial uh, session on what the Bible calls family. And then we've looked at roles. Amanda spoke on what is a woman of God in the Bible and Christian? What is a man of God in the Bible? What are the principles of, of manhood and womanhood from Scripture? Uh, I, we looked at marriage and we, we started in Genesis where we saw that, that Genesis is full of emphasis on marriage, the Adam and the Eve and their different roles and, and that when you go through Genesis, it's full of family. It's full of family situations. It's full of genealogies. It's full of who married who and what children did they have and how did the children do. And all these things are part of God's history. And then last week we spoke a little bit about marriage roles. And all this is introductory, of course, but we spent some time looking at the role of husband and wife and how they are complementary in all respects, not just physically, but psychologically and spiritually complementary, and we spoke about those things. Today we're speaking uh, or looking at what the Bible says about parenting. Now, you may say, well, I'm not married. No, but, but, but you may well one day be married, and if not, uh, you know people that are married. You might say, well, I don't have any children. Well, no, you don't have any children, but one day you may, and you know people that have children. So it's not like, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not actually in this situation. Um, we could speak about sig singleness and single singleness and living single for God, whether that be for a period of time or, or, or a call from God to be single. We could do a whole series, and we have done a number of years ago, on that. I'm aware, I'm aware of those things. Also aware that we live in a broken society where marriages and families are broken. And uh, I think um, when we come back after next week, I'm going to address broken families in the Bible because God has a great heart for broken families, broken marriages, bro broken families, one-parent families. These things are very much on God's heart in the Bible. That's where we'll come back after next week's break. But just because things are broken doesn't mean that you can't teach how God intended it. In fact, what we need to do in society, and let's start with the church, because often, not always, the church reflects the broken society it's in more than it does God's plan for what, what we do. And so it's right to teach these things because there is so much misunderstanding and disorientation and confusion about the simple issues of marriage, family, children, because the devil is out to attack God's view of the family, God's view of marriage. He's out to attack it because a society is only as strong as its marriages, only as strong as its families. If we have a broken society 
and we're raising people in a broken way, then that's going to affect everything that takes place. But if, generally speaking, we, ha we apply God's principles because he's the one that gave us families, he's the one that gave us the institution of marriage, so it stands to reason that if we do it the maker's way, the one who created it the way, then it's going to have great benefits in our life. And I've said all the way through, I'm giving you the basic teachings of the Bible in these areas. There's lots of other opinions about this and that. And we, we even spent quite a bit of time defining marriage because there's different definitions of marriage. And that's where people get confused. They don't understand that people are talking about different things. Someone in society, like, for example, David Cameron, our Prime Minister, his definition of marriage is totally different to the definition of marriage from Scripture. Absolutely, totally def different definition. And so whether you believe one or the other, we at least need to understand we're not talking about the same thing today. Just because we use the same word marriage does not mean that we are meaning the same thing. And that's, the, that's something we spent some time. But let's now go and, and look a little bit about parenting. If we go to Ephesians chapter 6, and we spent some time, that, time in Ephesians um, last week because... We were spending some time because Ephesians chapter 5 just has a, a wonderful description of the roles of marriage, the bride and the husband, and how that marriage is so important to God. Not just, it's not just a human institution, but God uses marriage as a symbol and an insight of his relationship with his people. So Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And the way that Jesus lays his life down for the church is the model of, way a, of, of how a husband should lay his life down for his wife. But also, the submission of the church to Christ is also a, a model of submission for the wife to the husband. We spent some time last week unpackaging that. But having spoken about wives and husbands um, in Ephesians 5, verse 33, it then moves on to children. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for that is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. One of the points I've been making about biblical marriage right throughout this time is that biblical marriage is always linked to the having and rearing of children. Always linked. I think today's society, and has done for a while, we've tend to think of marriage as simply two people coming together. Maybe they'll have children, maybe they won't have children, but marriage is, is in many people's view, we looked at this last, last week or the week before, many people's view, it's just an emotional attachment, an exclusivity. Oh, I love you, you love me, well, let's get married. Um, but I'm saying, according to the Bible, marriage is always linked to having children, and that's, that's normally... I'm not saying that if you get married as a Christian, you find that there's some reason why you can't have children, that, that it's, you know, it's all a disaster. Not, not at all, not, not at all. God can, God can use that. So please don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, some people can't have children. And in the 
Bible we find that people also face that situation. Abraham himself also faced the situation of being married but childless. So being married and not childless doesn't mean that you're not really married. What I'm saying is that normally speaking, generally speaking, marriage is not just about two people coming together, but it's about the children that would naturally come from that. After all, we spoke last week about the fact that when two people get married in a ceremony, it's not yet consummated, is it? In fact, in uh, marriage, what can happen is, is you can get married in a ceremony, but if that marriage is not consummated by sexual union, that marriage can be annulled, not divorced, but annulled. It's not seen uh, as being, you know, uh, uh, fully... Uh, completed until the union and the two become one. Now, when the two become one in sexual union after marriage, what's meant to happen out of that? Well, what's meant to happen out of that, or what naturally, if I could say, happens out of sexual union is children. Children. And so in the Bible, marriage is not just about two people. It's about the children. And I mentioned to you... Uh, uh, that, that in, in today's society, even in the Christian's mindset, um, sometimes the marriage is still seen as not being linked to the children. So I gave an example of, of, of a friend of mine, not part of KT. Him and his wife have just recently got divorced. They've got a number of children. They're Christians. They got divorced. And the way that they were looking at it was this. I don't love you anymore, I can't get on with you anymore. Well, I don't love you anymore, I can't get on with you anymore. Well, then this isn't a marriage, is it? No, it's not. Well, then we're going to have to get divorced. Yet what about the children? If you ask the children, did you want your mother and father to get divorced? They would absolutely say, no, we want them to work it out. We want to be a family. But the mentality was that marriage is somehow different. In other words... You know, it's about me and you, we're married, and the children, well, they're part of it, and it affects them, but uh, no, children are, are, are absolutely a, uh, part of that. If you have children, they are part of your marriage. And there used to be the day where people would, would work it out for the sake of the children. That's not a bad thing to say, we're going to work this out for the sake of the children. You understand marriage according to the Bible if you're thinking like that. And so here in Ephesians, we've seen and that straight after talking about husbands and wives, it goes on to family because marriage is meant to be the stable environment for children to be brought up in. And we have three things here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. We have three things I want to point out that are essential for parenting. Number one, unconditional love. Number two, spiritual nurture. And number three, discipline and boundaries. We see here that children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandments with a promise. Now, I'm not teaching children here today, and there might be a couple of children here today, but I'm not ch teaching children here. If I was at uh, New Generation or at the Children's Church, I would be talking to them about the importance of respecting their parents and how that will bring a blessing to their lives. But what I would say in this context is this, be a parent worthy of respect. Be a parent worthy of respect. It's like when you talk about marriage and it says, you know, wives submit to your husbands. 
Well, there's a message to the wives there for sure, but there's a message to the husbands. Be a husband worthy of submission. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to look at our roles and say, well, what's my role in it? Children, honor your parents, okay? Well, be worthy of honor, be honorable, because they're meant to honor you anyway, but surely when we're looking at this, we say, hey, I want to be an honorable father. I want to be something, an honorable mother. I want to be somebody that my children will look up to. I may make mistakes. I might not be the best. I'm imperfect, but I'll own my imperfections. But, you know, I want to be, if my, if my child or my children are, called, are said to honor me and to obey me, then I want to be somebody that it would be a delight to honor, a delight to obey. At least that's where I want to travel to in my relationship with my children. And then it, so, then it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There's an unconditional love that we should have for our children. Uh, I might mention it later, but of course, there is a wonderful parent-child um, model in the Bible. We have the father and the son, don't we? And it's quite exciting to look at the relationship of Jesus to his father. And uh, John's gospel is wonderful at this. And, and in John's gospel, when you read it, you know, the son does nothing except hearing from his father. There is a wonderful picture of a son's total obedience to his heavenly father. Yet what a heavenly father to obey. It wasn't always easy for Jesus to obey his father. Sometimes his father asked him to do things that he, he had to trust God if you know, if there's any other way, Father, um, but not my will, yours be done. What was he doing? He was a submission as a child. And so sometimes he struggled with submitting to his father, but what got him through his submission was trust. He trusted his father, wanted the best for him. He trusted that his father said, there's no other way, son, you have to go to the cross, that his father knew best. A wonderful relationship there of father and son. But the, but the uh, unconditional love. You see, one of the biggest dangers in bringing up children is that somehow they have to win your love or perceive that they win your love. Uh, it's common knowledge that one of, the, one of the most difficult things for a child to be brought up is if they think that they have to perform to achieve approval by their parents. In other words, uh, they are looking for approval they are looking for unconditional love, but sometimes the way that parents look after their children, it's almost like, if you reach this standard, I'll accept you. But if you don't reach this standard, I'll give the appearance of not accepting you. So, you know, oh, Dad, I got a C for my English. C? What happened to an A? I want an A next time, son or daughter. And it's like, well, wait a second, you might want them and help them to get be the best that they are, but be careful that that what comes across to the children is that it's not good enough, it's not acceptable. And some, some parents that can really drive their children, they're driving their children for high attainment, and sometimes that driving can get them high attainment, but at what cost, at what price? They may have got the grade to please their parents, but on the inside, they're always thinking they have to do better, it's never good enough, or they get the grade, but deep down inside, what if they didn't get the grade? Would they still be loved and encouraged? So unconditional love is absolutely important. Our children need to know that even when we're not pleased with them, we still love them. Just like God loves us unconditionally. Do you know that? You are unconditionally loved. When you become a Christian, 
You are loved forever. You are saved forever. You're not saved on condition. When you become a Christian, when you're born again and put your faith in Jesus and believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he doesn't say, okay, I'll wipe the blackboard clean of all your past sins, but now you've got a clean slate, you better watch it. Because if you start sinning again and putting stuff on that slate, then I'm going to reject you. We are adopted into God's family. Do you know that? Adopted. And we are adopted into God's family unconditionally. Do you know I was adopted at three months old? Three months old I was adopted. And when my parents adopted me, they, they signed a form and they became my legal parents. But on the form, it didn't have any caveats. It didn't say, we adopt this child oh, on condition that he cleans his teeth, on condition that he gets good grades at GCSEs, on condition that he makes us happy, on condition that he doesn't go to prison. You hear what I'm saying? There was no conditions. It was unconditional, unconditional. My, my, my parents that adopted me are my parents whether I do good or whether I do bad, whether I make them happy or whether I make them sad. They are my parents. There's no conditions in that. Can you imagine if there was? Can you imagine if I was brought up as an adopted child and every so often my dad would give me the conditions. Say, come on, exams are coming up. You know you've got to get a B grade to stay in the family. You know, hey, I heard you were out with a bad crowd. You know what happens? If you end up in a police station, you're out of the family. We'll Can you imagine living like that? I mean, it would be awful, wouldn't it? And yet often, the God who says... <laughs> You know, who, but you, us being evil, give good things to our kids, how much more will God give us his Holy Spirit? And yet sometimes Christians talk about God like we're adopted with conditions. No, we are adopted unconditionally. We can be great children of God or awful children of God. We can make God proud and happy uh, with what we do or we can make him extremely sorrowful and even angry with what we do. But we're always his kids. And so we need to take that in understanding our children and from an early age, let them know that they're loved. Don't assume that they think that they're loved. We have to show them that we, lo we love them. We have to tell them that we love them. We, we, have to, we have to give them hugs, especially at a young age, and spend time with them expressing our love for them. If we have to correct them or if we are disappointed with them, we have to make sure they understand the disappointment or the correction or why it's taking place, but that it doesn't change the fact that we love them. Unconditional love. Secondly, um, spiritual nurturers bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. This is important because in the end, if, if we don't raise them strong spiritually, then uh, there's going to be problems for them. And the best thing that we can give them is an inheritance of faith. So again, this, this tells us that as parents, that you know, we need to be walking with the Lord. We can't be telling our children to do one thing and doing another. We can be open with them about our mistakes, especially as they grow into teenagers, where you can be more open and honest with them because they're becoming adults, but we need to encourage them. It's not enough just to say, you're going to junior church. and I, Why? Because I say so. We have to teach our children the things in the Lord. We don't just leave it to the Sunday school teachers. We have to teach them. We have to feed them. It's appalling the levels 
of spiritual understanding of many Christian teenagers today. I mean, they don't even know how to defend the Bible as the Word of God. I mean, they can do GCSEs in maths, chemistry, physics, French, and all their education is about look at the evidence and go where the evidence takes you. And what is the evidence for this position in history? And what is the evidence for this? And what is the evidence for that? And they're taught to look at evidence. And then when it comes to the Bible, they're just told it's the Word of God. Why? Because it is. Yet there's some beautiful evidence that will, will give them that strength. And then when they're 16, 17, some atheist teacher, some atheist or, or false religionist comes to them has a few questions they can't answer, their parents can't answer because they are spiritually illiterate too, and the whole thing nosedives. No, we have to build them up in the things of the Lord and, and, and model and teach them and, and explain to them and make sure they're reading the right literature and make sure they're learning things and, and, and the questions are being answered. We need to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. And then thirdly, I said, discipline and boundaries. These things are important. And we've already said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. In other words, you know, we have to be very careful as a parent that you don't discipline out of anger. You see, the thing about being a parent is you're in a position of power. And children are not in a position of power. They, can't, they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't have any money to feed themselves. They don't, they don't have the ability to look after themselves. They are dependents. We call them that, don't we? They're dependent. They're, they're not in a position of power. And it's terrible how parents can abuse that position of power. They can fly off the handle. They can manipulate. And what, what's the child going to do about it? Threaten to walk out? How can a child threaten to walk out? No, children, we have to be careful how we treat them. Because when you're in a position of power, whatever power that is, you can abuse that. And lots of parents abuse their power and are selfish in their power, in the way that they treat their children, uh, the way they discipline their children, out of anger, or it's inappropriate, or it's not explained, or they, they snap at their kids and don't apologize for doing it, and the ch child can't do anything. That's not modeling for the children parenting. They're, they are in a vulnerable, vulnerable position. And as parents, we need to understand that if we have to discipline them, it has to be appropriate discipline. And discipline is not about telling someone off and giving them a piece of your mind. On the contrary, that would be as inappropriate as a husband saying to his wife, I'm the head of the house, where's my tea? Where's my tea, woman? Well, I don't want to just make it in the name of Jesus, head of the house. <laughs> now, someone clapped. <laughs> Wouldn't that be inappropriate? Well, so is inappropriate lording it over children. Inappropriate, just telling them to do it. Why? Because I'm the dad. And some of us may have come from families and backgrounds where that's what happened to us. Some of us might have come from cultures where dad, dad was God. Told you what to do, no explanation. If you didn't do it, you got a hiding. That is not Christian parenting. Sometimes we have to look at our culture and say, do you know what? That's, that wasn't of God. I forgive my parents, I understand their culture, but I'm not going to be like that. 
And you have to make a conscious decision in life not to make the mistakes of your parents. Because left just to normal devices, you'll find that unless you make a conscious decision and action not to make the mistake of your parents, you will find yourself doing it because it's ingrained. Um, but also, you need to make a conscious decision to do what they did great. So when I think of my parents, I think of the good things that they did, and I want to build on that. I think of things that maybe weren't so good, and I want to guard against that. So that each generation gets better. You don't have to be a victim of, your, your, of the way that the parents taught you. You can learn. You see, you can learn from the bad things your parents did in order to ensure that should you have children, they will benefit from that. You know what I'm saying? But you do have to be careful, because under pressure, if you're not aware, under pressure, you will revert to the techniques of your parents, for good or for bad. I just want to warn you, you don't have to, but you have to understand that. You know, you think, oh, I'm never going to shout at my wife, you say that, like my dad did. And then you lose it one day and you find that you're saying exactly the same thing. Be on your guard and you'll be able to um, deal with these issues. Hebrews chapter 12 is very interesting when it comes to discipline. Because discipline is positive, it's not negative. Or it's not meant to be negative. Um, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 5, talking about God's discipline. Hebrews 12, verse 5, 5b. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we, so not, much, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the, mo for, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So let's use that as our definition of discipline. Because the thing is, whenever you talk about um, um, things to do with the family, we're all bringing our own experience into the teaching on the family. Good experiences or bad experiences. So if to you, I talk about parental discipline and immediately the slipper or someone's belt uh, comes into your mind and you have painful things, then when you hear the word parental discipline, it's a negative, perhaps abusive thing. But there's nothing abusive here, is there? In, in, in the father disciplining us. Nothing abusive. On the contrary, it's absolutely essential. It says... And basically, it says this, you know, you know you're God's kids when he disciplines you. Well, what do you mean? Because you don't discipline other families' kids, do you? Normally, especially not in this day. You're liable to get a smack around the face by the mum or dad, do you? And, and, there's no, and actually, it's a bit sad, isn't you, if you're in a park or a pub public place and you're seeing an undisciplined child. 
and you look at it and the child's all over the place and the parents can't cope and we've got sympathy for that. It can happen. But you look at that and you just think, do you know what? What a terrible situation. But hey, it's not my child. It's not my child. I don't have the rights even to discipline. It probably wouldn't be welcome if I went in and corrected that child. And discipline is all about boundaries and corrections in order that somebody will mature and grow and bear fruit. No, discipline isn't telling off. Discipline is correcting somebody. And that correction has to be appropriate, has to be age appropriate. So you don't discipline a teenager in the same way that you discipline a four-year-old. Why? Because a teenager is on their way to being an adult. So what you want to do is try and reason them with them as, as, an, as, a, as an adult. When they're just a little three or four-year-old, it's a little bit more simple. But when you start saying to a 14-year-old and they say, why? And you say, because I said so. Well, I don't know any teenager that's going to be blessed by because I said so. Or, or the rules of the house. When you get your house, you can make your rules. While you're under this house, you're under my rules. Now, is that really going to bless a teenager? A teenager will be going, I want to get out of here as soon as possible. No, when, when they start to get to the age of 12 or 13, or I'll mention this maybe later, what you're doing is you're forming adults. They, they're becoming young adults. You still have to supervise. They're not ready to become adults. They're not ready to take a driving test and these types of things. But you've got to say, you've got to turn from being that mummy, you know, mummy daddy little kid and turn to be coming alongside them more as friends and companions. Yes, you, you do have a seniority, but you want to give them respect. You want to increase trust levels between you where they don't live up to the trust. Yes, there may be correction. Well, you're not going to a party until I know that you, I can trust you again and there can be appropriate discipline. But at the same time, it's like, but I want to be able to trust you. How can we work these things out? There's an increase in respect. You're, you're, you're training um, a, a young adult. And so when we talk about discipline as well, you know it is illegal to spank a child uh, in this country. And I personally think that if you have to spank a child, then you failed already. You failed already. And I don't know, in my experience, maybe that's because I'm just from Yorkshire, and, but I don't remember anybody that I know of being spanked properly. In other words, they got whacked by their mum or their dad. And I look at that, and I don't think it was appropriate. It was more an outlet of anger than any type of, of, of discipline. And I know that in some countries where they do, they still discipline, and um, what they do is if they do give somebody a rap on the, on the hands, uh, like in Bogota, Colombia, they, they buy these little rulers that they, they use to tap on, on, on the child's hands. And on it, it says, don't do this in anger, don't do this in haste, make sure you've explained why you're doing it. And, um, you know, but I don't, I don't think we should ever get there. If, if, if you ever got to the place where you were thinking of spanking someone, I think, why? Has, have things so degenerated in your relationship with your child that you would even consider doing that? If you ever think, uh, and, and, and it's against the law anyway, but you ever think about spanking your child, then you need, to, you need help. Help from brothers and sisters in the faith. You need to ask yourself. Or maybe it's just you've got an anger problem. But if you can't control your children, we do every so often here at Kensington Temple have 
parent classes. And uh, you can ask Amanda Dye and email Amanda for when the next parental classes is, because this is just touching on issues today. Uh, same with marriage. We have a marriage course that's coming up in September, October time. It's going to be in the next revival time. A marriage course is not for people, not only for people that are having difficulties in marriage, it's for people that want to strengthen their marriage. So we, we see that correction, correction has to be done sensibly. It's got to be consistent. There's nothing worse than a parent, you know, changing their opinion every day. It's got to be done in love. It's got to be fair. It's got to be age appropriate. You, you can really embarrass a ch teenager if you tell them off in the wrong way and in the wrong place. Why would you do that? What, what is the aim of correction? To correct. The aim of correction is not to humiliate. The aim of correction is not to antagonize. We just read, don't get, don't get your kids angry. Don't, don't get them to the place where they're going to, um, you know, be provoked. Colossians chapter 3. Uh, it, uh, reinforces this. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, is it? No, that's wrong. Oh, yeah, no. Wrong chapter, isn't it? Thank you. Children, we, husbands love your wives, don't be harsh with them. Straight out of marriage, into family. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So the role of a parent is to foster, encourage, to be proactive, to explain, to be gentle. Now also, we, we, when we talk about bringing up our children, we're talking about modeling roles. You see, boys will, especially at the young age, they will look, if they have a, if they have a father, they will look at their father as a role model of what being a boy or being a man is all about. And also, the girls, the daughters, will do the same with the mother. So, as a father and a mother, you are modeling what you want them to become. You are a role model. So, and, and I said a, a girl will go to a mother to find out what it is to be a woman, and a son will go to his father to find out what it will be, be as a man. But also the son will look to his mother to see what a woman would be, or what a wife will be, and a daughter will look to her father and see what, what, what a man will be. Now, as they grow, they have other influences, and, and you might say, what about a one-parent family? Well, it, it doesn't just have to be a father or mother, it can be a role model. I remember my father was in hospital for two years when I was very young in a very formative time. And my big role model was um, my football manager. And, uh, you know, he was my role model for that time. I used to look at him and think, this is, this, you know, maybe not consciously, but I look back on it, I thought, I want to be like him. Why? Because that's what a man should be. So there are, we have to make sure that our children have good role models, even if they don't have a father and mother with, with, with them all the time, maybe an uncle or a, or a grandparent. But this means that we are, what we're we doing, well, in the end, we are raising children to become good husbands, good wives, good fathers and good mothers. That's what we're doing. And so it's important. I mean, for example, uh, it's important for fathers to show their daughters what a real gentleman should be like. 
you know, I, I, I've heard some people say that, that daughters that have had wonderful fathers are always looking for that wonderful father in their husband. In other words, if they've had a good father, they're, they're going to be, be judging people when they're thinking about getting married or partners. They're looking at somebody. And if that person doesn't show the, the good traits of their father, even without realizing, they're thinking, that's not for me. So we need to, to show it. I really do believe that, you know, fathers should take their daughters out on daddy dates. Not just spend time with your son because you want to go down the den to watch Millwall. But take your daughter out by herself. Or take the girls out if you've got more. But do what they want to do. And be a, be a role model of a gentleman to your own daughter. I mean, a daughter's first date should be with her father. Do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, there's no reason why you can't take your daughter out as a father for a meal. Or your daughter out as a father. And to treat her with, treat her like gold. Treat her like a princess, isn't that what little girls often want to be? Despite society trying to tell them, no, no, you do, that's the last thing you want to do is to be a princess, stereotype. But little girls like to be, well, a father should spend time and model that. I tell you what, if a father treats, uh, shows her daughter how she should be treated, then when, you know, the time comes for courting and some young upstart start comes, she'll immediately go, no, thank you. You know what I'm saying? And, and also, a mother has a very strong input in affirming a boy becoming a man, you know? So mothers can, you know, and what are we talking about? Well, I spoke about the roles of husbands and wives. I spoke about uh, the, the man being head of the house, which means what? He takes ultimate responsibility for everything that takes place in his marriage and in the family. Others are responsible, but in the end, it's laid at his door. If your family is a mess, the Bible says, how can you be in the ministry? It's your fault. Yeah, but it was my wife. She's a nasty person. It's your fault. You married her. It's your fault. Yeah, but my kids are all out. You're responsible. When God looks down and sees a marriage in disarray or a family in disarray, first person he goes to is the man and say, what's happening here? You're responsible. Of course, others have responsibility as well. It says, children, honor your parents, and wives, submit to your husbands. So you've got the husband is ahead, and what is the role of the wife? She is the suitable helper, senior partner, and alongside junior partner, associate partner. Colin is a senior minister. I'm the associate minister. I don't feel that I'm a second-class citizen or that I have to go and be senior minister somewhere else to be important. It's the roles that we've been given. And, and I'm happy with that. And so we need to model. So uh, a, a mother can do a lot by giving her son and daughter, excuse me if I'm being a bit like painting with large brushes, yes, but you, you want to raise your son, give him responsibility. Give him responsibility. Why? Because you want him to take responsibility one day in a marriage. You want him to, to, to take You don't want him to be somebody that doesn't take responsibility. Everybody wants a man to take responsibility. You'd be crazy if you say, well, I want to get married to a man who's irresponsible. You're a nutcase. Every, so one of the big things is that when a son, when a mother is, is helping and applauding and asking her son for help and applauding and giving him responsibility and affirming that, what is she doing? She, she is affirming as a woman into her son what, what a man is all about. So this isn't just mothers with their daughters and fathers with their sons. It's, it's a modeling process. This is what family is all about. This is what being a man is all about. Being, all a, being a man is all about 
one day being a husband. Even if you never get married, it's about one day being a husband because that's what you were formed for. Being a woman is all about being ready for marriage. You say, well, I'm not married. It's not about being married. It's about moving forward. As I said, we could spend a, a whole month, maybe we will soon, on singleness because some people are single for a short time. Some people are single. And there are great benefits in being single. You might not think so. Uh, it, it, you may do. You may have that mature. You might think, well, I want to get married, so don't talk to me. You're married. Don't talk to me about benefits of being single. Well, I apologize. I don't mean to be like that. But maybe we need to do some digging in the Word because Paul says, Paul got to the place where he said it's better to be single. And so we, don't, we shouldn't say that single is second class because it isn't. On the contrary, on the contrary to Paul, he's saying, hey, if you get married, fine, but there's so much you can do as a single person for the Lord. And in the end, it is all about what we're doing for the Lord. So Paul says whether single or married or engaged, it's all about serving the Lord and his, and his plans um, for us. So we're seeing that in parenting, we are modeling to our children. We are looking after and nurturing our children. We are growing our children. And that means we need to spend time with our children. Not, there's too much Xboxing going on. There's too much just sitting in the TV while we get on with everything else in our lives. We have to spend time with our children. We have to do that or else we're not parenting them and they will be parented by the television or they will be parented by the people that they're going to school with when, when that is our primary role. Our primary role is to, if we're, if, we're in, if we're married, is to one another and to our children. That's our responsibility before all spiritual things. Before all spiritual things. God is first and then the family. And so all these things are, are important. We want to raise children up to be stronger than us better than us. Now, we're going to make mistakes, but one, but one thing about making mistakes is being prepared to make mistakes and to apologize for making mistakes. And it's interesting, the times I've made mistakes with Jake, where I have apologized to him. And it's amazing how apologizing to your child can have a tremendous effect. Why? Because it's a relationship. There's a two-way thing there. So when you do something wrong and you own it, you're teaching them. You are modeling. In everything that you do, you are modeling for your children. And in everything that you don't, you are modeling for your children. If you don't treat your wife right, you're modeling treating your wife not right to your children. And so children are a blessing for the Lord. Uh, marriage naturally brings about children, the family, and uh, these are one of the most important things that we can talk about. Not next week, but the week after, I'm going to spend some time, because I need to balance all of these things. I want to spend time talking about such things as broken families, single parents, singleness even. I can bring that in to show you that although I've been teaching on, you know, the Bible's model type of marriage, the Bible's model type of family, I understand that the model isn't always working like it should be. We can all do better in all aspects of our life and work. And so I don't want to just ignore that and think everything's rosy when there's people that are hurting, struggling with issues, struggling with relationships, struggling with parents, struggling or come from struggling backgrounds. I want to spend the last Sunday talking about God's desire for healing 
and wholeness in our lives, our families, our relationships, our marriages, that if it's all gone wrong, it's not over. If we've come from terrible backgrounds, it doesn't mean that we can't be made healed, made whole, and made better. If we're struggling in our marriages or struggling in, in our parenting, it's, it's not over. In fact, if we're hearing, it's just begun. We can make changes. God is for us, not against us. So restoration of marriage, restoration of family, healing from broken experiences. This is what we'll be looking at, not next Sunday, Carnival Sunday, but the Sunday after. And then coming into September, we're going to be making sure that we know why this is the word of God uh, in canon, questions of canon. God bless you.